And last time, if you remember, we talked about prayer, the priority of prayer, that he wants all people everywhere to be praying for all people. And what was the reason why? And if you, I hope you got your Bible open to 1 Timothy chapter 2. It's because God desires all men, and that word men is a general word for mankind. God wants all people, all human beings, everywhere to be saved. God wants everyone to come to a knowledge of the truth and to understand salvation and, and, and have eternal life, not just when they get to heaven, but right here and now to have eternal life in them, all right? Okay, so now, now he's going to talk about men of prayer and women of prayer. There are some things that men that are, are tendencies as men and tendencies of women. Now, let me just preface this by saying this. I know we live in a day where we're just trying to blur all lines between the sexes and genders. And I'm not just saying, I'm, gonna, I'm just going to preach what the Bible says, okay? So you don't have to worry about that. But I want you to know this. Medical science and everybody is, is, is that men and women's brains do work differently. Has anyone ever noticed that? Okay, I think most of us got to have common sense to know that. And there's a reason why. And, and I've, I've listened to the medical studies on it. You know, when a baby is, and I can't remember, just a certain amount of weeks along as a baby is developing in the fetus, it already has its own heartbeat, it already has its own DNA, it already has all of its own, you know, like that, uh, that if it's, if it's a, a male, it has that Y chromosome, that at a certain point... Uh, it's, uh, it's certain uh, organs begin to produce testosterone. And basically, testosterone goes through the body and basically does brain damage. It's what it does. It does. Our brains actually, in all the studies... Now, I know when they say this, it's, it's like 90% something. There's always that one, you know, and it's just like some of the conferences we go to, we find out. Paul's going to talk a little bit about women, you know, being... And the word in, in the New King James is silent, and I, I just want to throw that out there because there's going to be... Okay, here's what we're going to do today. It's like going to a, a, a big old beehive, and there's some sweet honey in there, and we want that sweet honey, and, you know, it's just going to be so good. There's some good stuff in here, but if we're not careful, we may stir up a bee's nest, to get stung, all right? I realize that. But a lot of stuff Chris and I go to, we find out that the average woman speaks over 25,000 words a day. <laughs> That's not me. You know, I, I didn't put all of the documentation up there, but over 25,000 words a day. And the average male, the average man, speaks only about half as much or a little less than half, about 12,000 words a day, Right? And that men are more likely, and they, they did even did this, they did tape recorders and things with little, little boys and little girls, that, and, and, and just because of the way we're wired, that uh, like 80% or so of the noises, and we learned this from Dr. Gary Smalley, right? And we, we, even, we all went through those classes in our church, and a lot of us did anyway, but uh, that, that a lot of the noises coming out of their mouths had nothing to do with intelligent conversation. A large percent, you know, little boys, and they just feel like, it's like I've noticed even with my grandsons, they just feel like they got to be making noise. I mean, it, there's no sense to it. There's no conversation to it. It's just noise, right? But, but most of what come out of the recorded kids, most of what came out of a little girl's mouth had to do with conversation. They were talking to themselves, or they were talking to their invisible friends, and they were talking, you know, to some, uh, you know, whatever, or to their dolls, or to whatever, and a lot of it's conversational. And, and so that translates into now, doesn't it? Because now, uh, what happens? A man comes home from work, and guess what? He's already used up his 12,000 words. They're, they're done. And so basically all you get out of him is that unintelligible, uh, non-language noises like, uh, uh, uh. How was your day? Uh. 
You know, all those kinds of things. And here's the thing. The woman is just getting started. She's wanting to talk, and she's just going 100 mile an hour. And, you know, he's already used up his words. His brain, his brain just can't do it. And as men, our brains work different. Chris and I got to sit under Mark Gunger's teaching one time and read his books about how men compart the way our brains are. You know, they've even done MRIs now and studies of brain activity and nailed this down that men can compartmentalize things and that, that, uh, that women actually have more connectors between the right half and left half of the brain and men are more left brain dominant you know it has to do with judgment right it has to do with uh statistics and and even judging distance you know how how many guys have you been with your wife you're driving and and you know there's um uh there's a a car that turns in front of you like 200 yards down the road and she's like (laughs) like that and you're like what are you doing it's that mother protection you know and she throws her arms out and you're like what are you doing with that car? And you're like, that car's like a half a mile away, you know? But, but so we perceive different distance differently. There's just a lot of things, you know, that, that we, we do differently. And uh, as men can compartmentalize things, it's that, that's one reason why, like, ladies, if we're watching a ball game, we're in the listen and watch the ball game box in our brain, and that's kind of where we're at, and you're wanting to talk about, you know, something emotional or something over here. And it's not that... We can't hear you. It's just we're in a different box at that moment. And, and it takes a little bit of time for us to get out of that box and into the box that you're... Want, uh, right. I'm telling you, studies are, are, have confirmed this. And that, but, but women can multitask because they have more connectors between the halves of their brains. It's why that, you know, like sometimes even if we're watching TV or something and, and Clarissa's is doing a crossword puzzle at the same time, and I'm like, you're not even watching this. Yes, I am. And she can tell you everything that's happened. And, but me, I can't do that because if it's crossword puzzle, it's crossword puzzle box. I don't hear anything else going on around me. And that's why sometimes whenever, you know, this, has this ever happened to any of you men that we come in and all of a sudden it's like, uh, well, where's this? And, well, we're out of that. I told you to pick that up. You didn't tell me. I never heard you say that. I said it twice. Am I the only one that anything like this happened to? Huh? Uh, and the problem was that she maybe said it three times, but I was in another box when she said it. Right? And Mark Gunger tells us that men actually have something women don't have. And that is one compartment of our brain is a nothing box. <laughs> women can't do it because women are multitasking. You know, that's how women's intuition comes in because they're taking in more. They've even done studies where they flash pictures up and take them down. And, uh, you know, and, and, and write down everything you saw. And, and most of the women will be writing down all this detail. You know, the wall was yellow. There were a tree and it had this color leaves and this and this. And the men are going like, what? 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 Picture? I don't, I don't know. I didn't what? put it back up there. I wasn't paying attention, right? That's the difference in the way our brains work. Because we each have strengths, we, have, we, each have, we each have weaknesses. But sometimes women are just, you know, they're looking at a lot of things, processing a lot of info. There are times uh, when, when our testosterone levels begin to drop it during part of the day that we actually enter into a nothing box. And women, it is possible that we can actually sit and think about nothing. So whenever you say, what are you thinking about, hon? Nothing. You're like, I don't believe you. Of course you don't. It's not possible for you to do that. But let me tell you, it's very easy for us men to just sit and think about nothing. We have a nothing box. So, so I'm just saying, preface this by saying there are differences, and we see that. And, and, and um, 
In our society today, sometimes when we want to just gloss over that, we're going to create more problems than, than what we're helping, right? Because there, there's a difference, okay? And so Paul's going to talk about the difference between men of, men of prayer and women of prayer because, let me tell you, built into us, God made us different because he made us to go together. And, that, I mean, that's what Genesis says, right? I didn't think that up. That's what Genesis says. And so um, here's the thing. It can be like you've heard what... What was that one book that that, and we heard that one guy speak that wrote that book, Men Are From Venus, Women Are From Mars, or vice versa. Have you ever heard of that? Uh, or vice versa, or whatever. I heard that guy speak too. And so a lot of people think, like, Lord, what were you thinking? You know, this, we're so different. But here's what we find is that God put in one the things missing in the other, that we make a unit, right? And so uh, the differences can cause us to fuss and fight and have problems, or we can actually put this together in Christ and become uh, better able to reflect God's image. And there's a whole other series of sermons we could preach on that. And maybe we'll do that sometime on just relationships, husband, wife, men, women, all that. Uh, but today we're going to talk about men of prayer and women of prayer. And one reason why Paul approaches us the way he does is that men, because of the way we're wired, basically, I say this isn't all 100% because here's the thing. Clarissa and I found out, like, on some of the conferences we go to, there might be one part, like, on communication, she'd say, I'm going to go with the men, you go with the women. Because in our case, she speaks about 10,000 words a day, and I speak about 50 Okay, so, you know, there are some things that it's not like 100%, but as a rule, right, that's the way men are. I still have my nothing box, though, I'll guarantee you. Um, but Paul's saying there's some things men are going to need to, they're gonna, if you're going to be real men of prayer, because we're talking about prayer, that you need to focus on. And then there's some things that are natural tendencies for the women that the women need to focus on, all right? So, and we're going to take this from the cultural context that is here, and I'm going to bring it out. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to reach my hand in there right now. Are you ready? Let's just read what it says in, in 1 Timothy 2, verse 8. So we're still talking about prayer. He brings it back to prayer. He says, I desire, therefore, that the men pray everywhere. Now, he'd been using the word men, uh, but he'd been using a general word for humanity, all mankind, all humans. Well, now he uses a specific Greek word that means males, okay? And he does the same thing for a specific Greek word that means female in um, the uh, verses after this about women in the next verse. So verse 8, I desire therefore that the men pray everywhere, lifting up holy hands without wrath, wrath and doubting. Now we're going to talk about why he said that. And then he says in like manner, he's still talking about prayer, that the women adorn themselves in modest apparel, with propriety and moderation, not with braided hair or gold pearls or costly clothing, but which is proper for women professing godliness with good works. And my favorite verse in the whole Bible, let a woman learn in silence. I'm kidding, I'm kidding. We'll talk about what this means. Someone said one time that there's not going to be any women in heaven. Can you believe that? I said, well, you've got to show me that in the Bible. And he turned over, where was it, like Revelation chapter, um, um, what was it, after like chapter uh, 5, chapter 7, chapter 8, about when the seventh seal was opened in heaven, and there was silence in heaven for about a half an hour. And he said, and is, that proved, I'm kidding, it was just a bad joke. I need to just stick to reading the text, don't I? Okay, I will, I will. So he says in verse 11, let a woman learn in silence with all, of, with all submission. He says, and I do not permit a woman to teach or to have authority over a man, but to be in silence. For Adam was formed first, then Eve, 
And Adam was not deceived, but the woman being deceived fell into transgression. Nevertheless, she will be... This is a weird verse, and so you want to make sure you don't tune out before we talk about it. Verse 15, Nevertheless, she will be saved in childbearing if they continue in faith, love, and holiness with self-control. Amen. Okay. So, as I said, the focus is still on prayer. Now, here's what I want you to know. Now, when you... And we've been... This is our Sunday school class. We've been in my discipleship program class. We're talking about Bible study. How you interpret the Bible. So, we've got to make sure we do this properly. All right. So I think you guys realize that the things that were written were written over a couple thousand years ago, right? Okay, so here's a chart we use in our Sunday school class. We have three boxes. This box on the bottom left is what did it mean then? The one right beside it is how does it apply today? So you have the ancient audience that it was originally written to. That's where you start. Okay, so if you're starting by thinking he wrote that to us today in our language or in the 1930s, you're, you're wrong. You've got to know a little bit about the historical context, the, the type of literature that it is, the language, the context, all of that. You've got to know that. What did it mean then? What was the situation then? What was going on in Ephesus then? What was happening in those churches? Were those churches a lot like ours? Not at all like ours. They were a lot different than ours, their makeup. Most of them were Gentiles. Some of them were from a Jewish background. They came from like two different planets, okay? And then, so we pull out of that, what does it mean for people of all time? So when you read a passage, what is this saying to those people right then and there? And what's the historical context and all of that? And how do I properly interpret what he was saying to them at that time in that day? Okay, then I try to say, is there some great big spiritual principle that applies to everybody of all time that is implied in that? And then, how does it apply to me today? I gave you an example last week, you remember, about in Romans where he says to greet each other with a holy kiss, right? And I pointed out that no one had even tried to kiss me except Clarissa when, since I've been here, right? And so we're breaking scripture right there. We're not doing what the scripture says. But you look like we're not bothered by that, right? And I mentioned the fact that that was part of their culture. That's how they greeted each other. Is there a timeless principle that applies to all time we could pull out of that? Yeah, that is to greet one another and be kind to one another. So there's what he's teaching, that we ought to be friendly and greeting each other and being kind to one another. So how does that apply today? How do we do that today? We don't kiss each other when we get to church. How do we do it? We shake hands. We smile at each other. We pat each other on the back. Things like that. Are you following me at all? Because if you're not, you're never going to understand the Bible unless I spoon feed it to you. Okay, and that's part of the job of the pastor to equip the saints for the work of the ministry, trying to equip you that you've got to do this with everything. I pointed out in class that over in 2 Timothy, when he tells uh, Timothy that when he comes to bring the cloak that he'd left somewhere, this coat, um, what's the, what did it mean then? Well, it meant that Paul's going to be cold and he wants a cloak. Are there timeless pr- Not really. I mean, unless you want to just say a general principle is that when it's cold, it's good to have a coat. <laughs> and how does that apply to me today? Don't forget your coat. I don't really, that just applied to him there, right then. That was something that needed he needed right then and there and it doesn't really and so sometimes we just try to scoot things across and take it from their context into ours and we don't understand the the, the history behind it and all of that and it doesn't really jive and then sometimes we all together miss the spiritual principle so what I want to do it's called you ready for it told you I was going to say it exegesis we've got to exegete this right? We've got to bring, and, and X means out of, it means to bring out. So here's what you do when you're studying the Bible or when someone's preaching is you use these basic rules of interpretation and 
can I say it? Hermeneutics. Uh, that you, in, how you interpret anything that you read. And so that you properly take what is here and bring it out. We're going to bring it out. And I want to bring out what it meant then. Are there timeless principles that apply to all people everywhere? And how does this apply to us today? That's how you do it. I want to bring out what this says. I, want to, I, I don't want it to be anything but what this says to bring out what this says. Here's what a lot of people want to do. They want to have a preconceived idea or thought of how they want to view things or how they want to live, and they want to read it into the Bible. And if you take parts of verses, take stuff out of context, you don't pay attention to all of that stuff, you can take what you believe and shove it in there. That's called eisegesis, and that's what a lot of people are doing, and that is false teaching. Okay? All right, so I just want you to understand that's why it's so important. And that's why I told my class that in the wrong hands, this can be the most dangerous book in the world. Satan uses it all the time when he bends and twists. When he came after Jesus in Matthew 4, what did Satan do? He took pieces of Scripture out of context and tried to misapply them. You can do that too, and you need to be careful. So all of that goes into interpreting what he's talking about here. So uh, I just wanted you to understand that, and I want you to get that down. Um, so, and first of all, he talks about men of prayers. All right, look at it in verse 8. He says, I desire, therefore, that men pray everywhere. Now, I've been called to analyze these things and to teach and to preach, okay? So it's maybe not your job, but it's my job. I look in the original text the New Testament's written in. I'm not a scholar, but I got a lot of good help, all right? And look at the Greek language, and I find there that he switches words. It's not the normal word for men or all mankind, males and females. It's a word that literally means male. So he's talking to men here, right? Talking to males. He says, I want them to pray. Where are you supposed to pray? Everywhere, not just at church, not just at the dinner table, but you need to be people of prayer all the time. Last Sunday night, I preached about that kind of prayer, spontaneous prayer that can happen anywhere, anytime, all the time. All right, that's the kind of men he wants us to be. So my question is, men, the first thing is, are we men of prayer? God is calling men out. God is calling men out to be the men of prayer. It's not, listen, I want to tell you, if you're a Christian, I don't care if you've got a bashful personality, I don't care if you're not real wordy like a few weird guys like me, but the thing is, God wants you to be the man of prayer of your family. God wants you to be the leader in that, okay? So he wants men to be men of prayer, and he wants men everywhere to pray, and he wants us to pray everywhere. And he says, lifting up holy hands. Now, there's three essentials that he mentions here. Lifting up holy hands without wrath, without doubts and dissensions. Okay, so what does that mean? Well, obviously lifting up hands... I don't know whether you know this or not, but did you know that all the way through the Bible, Old Testament, New Testament, this is a common expression of praise and prayer in the Bible. You find it all the way through. I've been in our church, and there's been some people freak out when they see me raise my hands in worship, or you feel like I should, I want to, but I don't know why. I don't. You know, it's not about, that's why, that's why sometimes we dim lights a little bit, because we worry too much about everybody around us, and not about you being here to worship God together with brothers and sisters, and you don't feel like you have freedom to do it. And that's not, that's stifling our worship. If you don't feel free, don't. But it's been a common practice of prayer. Many times in the Old Testament, they would kneel and raise their hands. You see Solomon in that posture. But I want you to also know this isn't about a posture of prayer. Because the Bible has all kinds of ways of praying. Praying with your eyes open, praying with your eyes closed, head bowed, head not bowed. Um, flat on the ground, you know. Uh, Nehemiah, we saw last Sunday night, was standing in front of the king. The king never knew he prayed, but he said, told us, I prayed to the God of heaven. See? And, and so it's not about a posture of prayer that's better or anything like that, but it tells us more than that because uh, 
The hands are not only an expression in the Bible, in the Old Testament especially, the hands were an expression of praise and worship, but they also represent the work and the activities of life, what your hands do, okay? And so holy hands, are you following me? Indicates he wants us to pray with a holy life. He wants our hearts to be pure. He wants our hands to be clean, men. And a lot of times, men, we can get pretty nasty and brag about it. He says, you're doing that, it's going to mess up your prayer life. And you remember in Psalm 66, 18, the psalmist said, if I regard iniquity in my heart, the Lord will not hear. When I have sin that I won't deal with in my life, it's going to, it's going to affect my fellowship and my relationship with God. You're starting to struggle spiritually. You're feeling far away. You don't even want to pray and all that. I guarantee you there's something in there you're not letting go of that you need to let go of because you know you can't lift up holy hands. There's, there's a fellowship problem. You know, just take it on down to the family level. You know, when the wife is a little bit upset at something you've done, she may be a little bit closed spirit to you, huh? Ooh, boy, yeah, a little cold, right? Sometimes do you ever feel that in your relationship with God? It's not him that's messed up, it's you. And you've got to make it right, and you can make it right. And once you make it right, let the Holy Spirit lead you and accept God's grace and forgiveness. Don't be like some, because here's another thing we do. The devil is also, you know what the word devil means? It means slanderer, accuser. The Bible tells us he's the accuser of all God's people. And so he'll come on and say, see, God, you feel, God doesn't care about you. God, that's not the Holy Spirit speaking. That's the devil speaking. You've got to grow to the point that you can discern the difference between the Holy Spirit's voice and the enemy's voice. Okay? So then you restore fellowship and you can do this. So he's encouraging men, have holy hands. The second thing is without wrath. And that's a word that means to be hot-headed and angry. And medical science has proven that testosterone and its effect can cause us to be rash and wrathful and blah. I don't know how to, that's not a, I don't know what word that was, but anyway. Uh, and so the word of God, years and thousands of years ahead of medical science, he's identifying the fact that men, listen to me, are going to have more of a natural struggle. It's not exclusive, but this is like as a rule, okay, are going to have more of a struggle with being hot-headed and rash. That's what he's saying. That's, if you're going to be a man of prayer, you've got to have holy hands. You've got to deal with this, and it's part of the way we're wired, okay? But that doesn't mean it's okay that that's just the way I am. God wants you to become the way he is. I want you to be Christ-like, all right? So the third thing, he says, then is without wrath. Uh, he said without doubting or dissension. See, that word there is hard to interpret. It means dissension, but it depends on if it's within your own mind, you're having dissension and troubled thoughts within your own mind, that would be doubts. Or if it's in regards with others, that would mean being having disputes with them. So bo- both words fit right here, doubt or dispute, so that we're rash, that we sometimes argue with ourselves, we argue with other people, we can be that way. See, when we have sin and anger in our hearts, we have turmoil, do we not? And that's the kind of man that can't prevail in prayer. We have disputes with ourselves, with God, and with others. That's a problem that we men have. So listen to this. Let me wrap it up. Most effective praying, men, is when I'm right, and I'm a right relationship with God, And I'm in a right relationship with others. And as a man, a lot of times, you just don't care. Got to have a right relationship with God and a right relationship with others. Are men praying? 
Are we praying? Do we pray? Do we pray? God, help me to have a pure heart. Help me to have holy hands. Because of the way I'm wired, I know that I'm prone to being rash. I know I'm prone to disagreement and fighting. Am I submitting myself to be obedient to God to overcome these things? That's part of why a lot of times we don't want to pray because we know God's going to take us there and say, you want to get closer to me? You want to have power in your prayer life? You need to deal with this. And we're rebellious and we don't want to do it. That's a problem we have. He even tells us, Peter tells us later on, that even how we treat our wives can affect our prayers. Did you know that, men? And the men were silent. I'm going to put this verse up there because he's talking about the same thing. Peter is. 1 Peter 3, 7, he says, Husbands, likewise. So he's talking to men who are husbands. He says, likewise, dwell with them. He's been talking about the wives. Dwell. He says some of the same things that Paul's going to say here, so there's complete agreement. He says, dwell with them with understanding. Well, right there, Lord, that's where it gets me because I don't understand her at all. You're too chicken to say amen, aren't you? You're just too chicken. Ah. Uh. I think the old translation says, dwell with them according to knowledge. Here's the deal, the understanding. You need to pray and use every tool you can and ask God to help you to understand your wife. She does not think like you. She is her, and God made her unique. And you need to become a student of her so that you can learn how to serve her and love her. Oh, by the way, did you know that that's actually what is intended when he talks about the husband being the head of the household? He's the one God holds responsible for that. He tells us that we are to love our wives like Jesus loved the church. Is Jesus in the process of, of like bossing us around and kicking us around or cramming anything down our throats? No, but he loved us and gave himself for us to nurture us, okay? He says if that's too much, in Ephesians 5, he also says, love your wife like you love your own body and take care of your own body. So at least start there, right? Okay, anyway, so dwell with him... Uh, with understanding. So there's an assignment for us guys right there that we can pray about. We need to understand her so I can understand how to love her and how to, to be the husband. And it says giving honor. Honor means you, you, you give great value. You give honor. You treat someone and their feelings even though you don't understand them as valuable. Honor. Giving honor to the wife. And then also, and this just refers to their physical makeup as to the weaker vessel. He's talking about the clay pot that we live in, the body. And I'm sorry, I know there are some women that could just out arm wrestle and just whoop the tar out of a man. But as a rule, just because of the effects of, of, of our, our different hormones, men grow to be a bit stronger. Their bones and, and everything bigger and their muscles a little bigger. And, and everywhere you go, you have the problem of men abusing women and men uh, molesting women and men slapping women around. And it occasionally goes the other way. But as a rule, that's part of that thing. And so he says, you need to give her honor. And there's some things physically. Now, it doesn't, it's not talking about spiritually. It's not talking about emotionally. It's not talking about it mentally, but just physically, a weaker vessel. You need to give her honor and you need to be making her know how valuable she is. And he points out as being heirs together of the grace of life, that you are equal. You are absolutely 100% equal and value. You are equal. You need to realize, even though her vessel may be a little bit lighter than yours or weaker than yours, that you need to treat her with honor because she is an equal equal heir of the grace of life. There's no distinction. But notice this last part. Do you see that? Have you read it? Okay, I'll read it for you. That your prayers may not be hindered. I wish Peter would explain a little more about that, but I take it that if we're not doing those things, God's saying, this 
is coming between you and I. And we're going to have a little breach in our communication and our relationship. So, uh, men, how we treat our wives affects our prayer life. Amen? Okay. All right. So, men of prayer, we got a lot to work on. I've got just to fly through this right quick now because we're going to talk about the women. Um, and he says this. He says, uh, then in like manner also in verse 9, the women. So, in like manner means in the same way we're talking about the same thing. We're talking about women praying. And some of the most powerful prayer warriors usually in the church are women because men a lot of times tend to neglect it because of the way we're wired. And uh, so for women to be effective, there are, they need to be on guard for some things that are natural weaknesses for them. And the first thing that comes out here as a principle, okay, that applied to them in their day and comes out and applies to us today, although maybe in some different ways, is that we need to pay more attention to what is on the inside than what is on the outside. And women tend to want to worry about how they look. They worry about... Some of us guys, we don't even remember for sure whether we even combed our hair before we left the house this morning. And, and some of you men heard that as you were getting ready for church. Like, you're wearing that? Huh? Because we don't even care. But women, that's a big deal. You know, I actually... I actually... You know, I, I wear a watch so I know what time it is. I, I wear a wedding ring so people know I'm married. I wear this thing because Dave Rolandi gave it to me and said it'd make me feel better. I probably wouldn't have bought it myself, but anyway, because he gave it to me. But I'm not really into jewelry. So it's like if you've got a bracelet, you've got a watch, you've got a necklace, you're good, right? No, you're not. They're not good. If you've got, you know, just like some tennis shoes, some dress shoes, work shoes, you're good, right? If you're a man, but you're not good if you're a woman. There's like this whole thing on the back of the closet door and there's shoes all over it. And we can't understand why they go into the closet. And it's like, you know, you got this big walk-in closet. And she's got like all of her stuff. Don't look at me like that, guys. And you've got like this much space for all of your stuff. Huh? Yeah. And then your wife's standing there this morning. And she's looking at all that and looking around. And she says what? (laughs) So you do know. (laughs) Yeah. I don't have anything to wear. All of that. So women pay more attention to that. And in their day, it was different than our days. But in our days, the same way. That sometimes if we spent half as much time getting our heart and our soul ready to come worship God as we do what's on the outside, we would be in a lot better shape. Now, the Bible doesn't want you to go around, as someone said, looking like an unpainted barn or an unmade bed. You know, but, but, but you don't, you, you pay more attention to what's on the inside. So he says, to adorn themselves in modest apparel with propriety and moderation, not braided hair or gold or pearls and all that costly stuff. It's not saying that you can't have those things. It's not saying you can't have nice hair. It's not saying that you can't wear jewelry. He said, but just don't let your focus be on that. And all those words that are interpreted there literally all mean moderation. Just be sensible about it. You wanna, but don't be out there flaunting your stuff. I'm telling you, that's what he's saying. So that you get attention on you. And, and I want to tell you one thing about it. And women need to understand. And one reason why it goes this, and Peter talks about it, is that women worry more about how they look. Because here's the thing. The way men are wired, as a rule, men are more visual. And women are more emotional and relational. We're very visual. I mean, that's why, like, husband and wife can get into an argument because we're rash, we say silly things that we should not have said. And her feelings are hurt. Her spirit closes. 
Well, then we're getting ready for bed, and I see her getting ready for bed, and all of a sudden, I forgot all about any argument that might have ever happened that day. And I'm in a very romantic mood and saying some very romantic things, and she may look offended by it. You see, I've moved into a different box, haven't I? But I'm very visual. She's more relational. And it's almost like, how could you, after what you said, what did I say? You said, and you get an exact quote. It's like, I didn't mean that. Now, I read this in a book of someone had written this illustration somewhere, but that's probably never happened to any of us, right? Right? And, but see, that's the way we deal with things. Men are visual. Women need to know that. And why is it that most all the pornography is exploiting women? Men, you have a weakness there. And here's the thing. Here's the thing about it is, is that that devalues women. And um, it will change the way you look at women. It will change. It will actually take uh, what God has designed for good and dilute it and destroy it. You're not helping yourself. You're destroying yourself. You're not getting something extra. You're destroying what you could have. All right? It's poison. It's poison to your soul. It's poison to your mind. It's poison to relationships. It has no place in your life. It should have no place. You need, and see, now it's just everywhere. See, you know, used to you had to work really hard to find inappropriate stuff to look at. Now all you got to do is accidentally is just pop up. You know? There are things like that. So here's what I'm saying. Women need to understand men are visual and that's why he focuses on this is that there are some women that they like to get attention from men because of their own insecurities and you need to realize that that's not what God wants you need to be modest you need to be appropriate all right and uh and sometimes women are just competing with other women I've tried to tell young guys this it's not that she is is desiring you so much she just wants to beat the other woman who's trying to get your attention (laughs) you're you're the trophy (laughs) I'm I'm being serious. Sometimes it's all about beating the other women, outdoing them. All right, I got to finish this message, don't I? (laughs) All right, so so basically, this is what he's saying. He's saying that don't pay so much attention to what's on the outside with the way you do. Yeah, you can look good. Hey, Sarah, Peter uses Sarah as an example. And Sarah was like 90 years old and like Pharaoh's like hubba hubba, right? And wanted to go after her. So I take it that Sarah was an attractive lady. There's nothing wrong with being attractive. Just don't be out there flaunting all that and don't be trying to seduce people to get attention. Uh, see what see what Peter says about it. Same thing, an agreement in that same passage which I read about for men it says, "But let your adorning—that means your decorating, female decorations, right?" Um, anyway, it says, "Let it be of the hidden person of the heart, that is the inside, right?" Uh, it says, "With the imperishable beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit, in which God's sight is, which in God's sight is very precious." And so to have that beautiful, quiet spirit on the inside, that's what he wants. Which, by the way, that word that that is translated quiet spirit, it's the same word that's translated silence in verses 11 and 12. So when he's talking about women remaining silent, he's not just talking about keeping your mouth shut. He's talking about having a quiet, gentle spirit. Did you know that it's the same word that was translated? So I want to know what these words mean. That word translated be silent in verse 11 is the same word. If you look up in verse 2 where it says that we're to pray for kings and everybody in authority, that we might lead a quiet and peaceable life, that word peaceable, that calmness and that peacefulness is the exact same word that, that is translated silence. 
So he talks about a silent or a quiet spirit. He's talking about somebody who's not trying to manipulate, somebody who's not trying to over uh, uh, take things. Like, and that's what he means here. So keep to be settled. Keep your seat, basically. So the most beautiful adornment for women, verse 10, is godliness and good works. You want to be really beautiful? You need to be beautiful that way. So women who pray need to do that. And so the first thing is pay more attention to what's on the inside than what's on the outside. And the last thing is to respect God's created order. And that's what he gets into here when he talks about the women learning with silent submission and all of this. It has to do, I want to tell you this, if you don't get this, you're going to miss a whole point of this teaching. It has nothing to do with our value or our importance or our standing before God. It only has to do with functional roles. Functional roles. It has nothing to do with value or importance. You need to know that God is a God of order. He said, let all things be done decently and in order. It has to do with that. So here we go back to how God, and that's what he does. He said, uh, Adam was formed first and then Eve, right? In verse, was at 13? He goes back to this. All right, so here we go. Now, this is just an order that God made. You're going to like it or not. This is just how God did things, all right? God formed the male first, said God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. So there's two ways that God created human beings. You want to know what they are? They're right here in this verse, according to the Bible, that God made human beings in his own image. We're different than all the rest of creation. We're different than all the animals and monkeys and everything else. God made human beings in his own image. Mind, will, and emotion, we are a living soul. God breathed into him the breath of life, okay? So God made us in his image. That's why all human life is valuable. It doesn't matter where they come from or what they look like. All human life is equally valuable because all human beings were created in the image of God. That's how we treat all people is very important to God, whether they're believers or whether they're pagans or whether they're what, what color or what, nationality or what language all humans are valuable to God made in his image so that's the first way the second thing about creation is how did God make them in the image of God he created him male and female he created them so God made human beings male and female and I know we live in a, in a, in a time when there's a lot of discussion on this uh, but this is God's created order you're either male or you are female now I know there's a percentage of people that really go through a struggle with identifying you know that I, I know I'm a woman but I, I feel more like a guy and things like that and I'm just going to tell you that the Bible has a lot to help you through that struggle and my heart absolutely goes out to someone that would have that struggle I think a lot of people are having that struggle nowadays that never would have had it because it's being put on them and implanted in them by the influence of our culture and our media trying to and, and, and so and I, I prayed with someone recently here somewhere else about this and that she's just struggling and I said do you believe God makes mistakes no I believe in God I said do you believe God makes trash no I said God made you I said and you're trying to be who you are be who God really made you to be and it's like a revolution in her mind it's like it's okay for me to just be me and be the me God made me and God actually made her as a very beautiful female and she has learned to embrace that um, and I know there's struggles there, but here's what I'm saying is probably 99.9% of people that this really isn't an issue, okay? It really isn't. And um, it's, uh, it, it's very confusing in the world we're living in today and the whole public restroom thing. It could be very, very destructive. It really can be. And we're, our society, the wheels are coming off, folks, right? 
You know, because it, it makes no sense sometimes. It's like the doctor that went into his patient, had the test results, and, and said, all right, well, sir, I have your test results. And the guy, the, the person is like, was screaming mad. How dare you say that to me? I am not identifying as a man. You shall call me ma'am. And I'm going to sue if you do that again. He said, okay, ma'am, I have your test results. You have prostate cancer. I know that's a bad joke, but I'm just saying that's how confusing it can be. I mean, that's just, that, that's, that's a real thing that's happening in our world. So I think it's just, take a deep breath and realize that God made us in his image and he made us male and female. It is one of the most distinctive things about you. Uh, it's how we are. You are either one or the other. There are very, very rare genetic mutations, and any time that there is, it's a problem. It's not a good thing. If there's an extra chromosome, there, for, for nearly all of us, there are either two X chromosomes or there's an XY chromosome. And even if there's an extra chromosome, if there's a Y in there, medical science says classifies it male. That's just the way they do, okay? So I let, we've covered that now. I think you understand that everywhere in creation, God has established order. And involved in that order are roles, relationships, and responsibilities, We all are equally valuable for God, but we all have different roles. We have different responsibilities. We see that everywhere. You see it in government. He said, pray for kings. There are people who are in authority. You may be a better person. You may be smarter than they are, but you respect their authority, and they have responsibilities that you don't have. Okay? Same way in the church, and we're going to get into that, talking about pastors and deacons and things like that. God established an order in the church. It doesn't mean like anybody, no one is more important to God, no one's more valuable to God, but we have different responsibilities, we have different roles. That's how everything gets done. All right? Because if everybody's the same thing, then most things don't get done. So in the church, in the society, In the home, there is order and roles and responsibility. When we neglect the God-given, since God's the creator and God's the designer, when we neglect this, what we're going to do is we may want to say, well, you can do whatever you want to do, but what the thing is, since he's the creator and the designer, he knows how it works. And when you don't do it that way, you're going to invite chaos into your home, into your life, into the church, into the nation, so forth and so on. Is there any evidence of that today? In Timothy's day, the situation in Ephesus where he was pastoring was very complex. Let's look at that. Because there was a small amount of Jewish Christians in the church, and the Jewish Christians had very rigid views on women. They would not even, are you listening? They wouldn't even allow women to read or learn to read or even permit them to learn. They couldn't even go to classes. That was never God's intention in the Old Testament, by the way. But you see, Jesus, when he comes on the scene, Jesus immediately elevates the role of women. Who were some of the leading people involved in ministry? They were women, right? Who were the first witnesses of the resurrection? Women. Now, see, if you were making this story up, you wouldn't do it that way in that day because did you know that in their culture, a woman could not even be a witness in a court of law? That if you were to try, you know, if you were going to prove something, you would never use a woman as the first witness or the first several witnesses, But yet Jesus chose that the first witnesses to testify about the resurrection were going to be women. And they were. You see all the disciples and the men scattering and running and hiding. But you see the women staying right there at the cross when Jesus was on it. So you see that. Jesus elevated their role immediately. But there were also Gentiles. So the Jews were very harsh on women and and, and treated them like property. There were Gentiles that were in that church. A large number of them that came from a lifestyle of worshiping a female goddess. But the Romans were also very oppressive to women. Most societies are. 
So let me just say this. You might have missed the significance of what he said when I read when Paul said, let the women learn. Because what you need to know is in that day, women were not permitted to learn by the Romans or by the Jews or by hardly anybody. So Paul is saying they are learning. This was revolutionary. You might miss that. I don't want you to miss it. Uh, when he, he, he talks about the significance, it's unheard of in that culture. Some, and no doubt, in the church were still oppressing women. They needed to stop. But you also need to know that in this situation, there were probably others that these women, they were taking their new freedom in Christ way too far, and they were usurping authority and responsibilities that God had not given them. So Paul's trying to deal with that here, and it can apply to us today. So he says that they are to, really quick, let's wrap this up. He says they are to learn in, uh, to learn, amen, to learn. But learn in silence with all submission. Silence, the word means calmness, stillness, peaceableness. That means you're not to be manipulating and taking over and, and, and you know, hey, being bossy all the time, okay? Can I say it? Okay, that's part of it. You need to listen. And the word submission doesn't mean secondary. Just like headship in the family for the man, for the husband, does not mean dictator. God made us with different roles. Both are equally valuable. The word submission is actually the Greek word. It's a compound word, upotasso. And it literally means to arrange under. It was used of military rank. It's not about value or capability. It has to do with responsibilities. For a wife to submit to her husband means that God basically is saying this, I hold your husband responsible for this family. Did you know that, men? Wives, according to this, women, God's not going to hold you responsible for the stupid decisions your husband makes. He holds him responsible or the lack of leadership, or whatever. But the leader of the head means is the one who is the nurturer, the server, the head lover of the family. And so, Scripture makes it clear that there are no moral distinctions or classifications among Christians. This doesn't mean that the women are beneath the men as far as in value. We just have different roles, okay? And uh, look, at, look at what he says over here in Galatians 3.28. We're talking about in Christ. In Christ, there is neither Jew nor Greek. It doesn't matter. There's neither slave nor, nor free. It doesn't matter what your ethnic or social background is. There's neither male nor female. For you are all one in Christ Jesus. Do you see that? Clear statement from the Bible. God doesn't put one above the other. One's not more valuable. One type of people is not better than others. We're all the same in Christ, okay? So you understand the Scripture makes that very, very clear. That we're all together there. But in roles of function, God has made distinctions. Just like in the church, some are servers, some are teachers, some are this, some are that. And even though there's no difference in intrinsic worth or basic spiritual privilege and rights among his people, the Lord has given, I said earlier, rulers in government certain authority over the people they rule. He gave to church leaders. He's delegated authority to congregations in the family, on and on. He's given parents authority over their children. The employer has authority over their employees. It's a part of the world and the order that we live in. You may know more than your boss, but it's still an order. So here's the thing. When he says this, he says, I do not permit a woman to teach or to have authority over the man, but to be in silence, to be calm, to be peaceful. Here's what he's saying. That word have authority over, is actually one word in the Greek. It's just one word. It's a compound word. The first part of that word is the word autos, which means by yourself. 
And it means to have independent authority. So here's what he's saying. Paul, here's what he's not saying. Paul is not saying that he didn't let a woman have authority. He's not saying that he never let them teach. He's just saying that he didn't let them have independent authority that they usurped upon themselves over a man or to teach over the man. It's just part of the order, right? And even some of the women that I know that are in heavily involved in ministry and leadership and pastors are still in authority of their church board, under the authority of their church board, and in the authority of their husbands, you see? And even in, in a church, here's what the problem is, is in a lot of churches through time that, the, that men have not stepped up and been the leaders and been responsible. Women had to. That's what the biggest problem has been in our day, rather than women trying to put men down and manipulate their way to get their way done. See, so we've kind of, if we'll be honest about it, that's the thing. So don't take this here as a woman can't ever talk. Don't take it as a woman can't ever teach or have position of authority. But there's a created order that God has, and she's not to usurp that independently on her own above the men. God says, because I'm still holding the men responsible. I'm holding, they're going to have to answer to me one day in judgment. They're the ones that are responsible. Um, so that's it. That's what he's talking about there with that word, that, um, that independent authority. Because why? Why? Because of God's created order. Why, why is this? Well, it's just the way God designed it, y'all. That's why he says because God formed, why? God formed Adam first. This is just the way God set it up. He goes right back to creation. Listen to me. Well, I'm, I'm trying to wrap it up. I'm trying, man. I know. There's just a lot here, you know? Uh, and so uh, there's a, what you believe about creation determines your understanding of the order of a lot of things. Did you hear that? Adam was formed first, then Eve. Even in the fall into sin, he points out Eve was actually deceived first and sinned first. That means Adam sinned with his eyes wide open. But who did God hold responsible? Does it say that we're all sinners because of Eve? No, the Bible says that we all sin because... Look what Paul points out in Romans 5, 12. Therefore, just as through... How did sin enter the world? You see it? Are you still awake? Come on. You watch a TV show for two hours. You can't stay with me for 45, 50 minutes. Come on, please, please. Sin entered the world through one man. So ultimately, who did God hold responsible? Not Eve, who sinned first, but Adam. He says, thus death spread to all men because all then have sinned. So in dealing with some cultural things that were causing problems in Corinth, Paul brings up some of this stuff to the Corinthians as well. And he points out, and some of it had to do with the way they were dressing and all of that, and it applied to the way they, like I said, just like the holy kiss, it's a little different for us today. But he points out God's order because, uh, but he also points out, God has an order, but also the equal value of males and females. Now, he points out here, this is part of God's order. The man was created first, all that. It's just the way God decided to do it. But the woman actually came from the man, the first one, that is. But he points out to the Corinthians that that don't mean the man's more important because ever since that first woman, all the men that's come afterwards came from a woman, right? Right? Uh, as we pervert God's order in the church and in our society, it's bringing all kinds of breakdown and chaos. So Paul's referring when he talks about God, how God created and about Eve sinning and Adam and all that. He's referring back to Genesis, isn't he? Can we go there before we close? Let's go back there because we've got to wrap this up. And it's not, you know, this is, this is tough stuff, so come on. It says... Here's the thing, here's where, here's where and, and the New Living Translation nails the translation. Because after they sinned, God said to the woman, I will sharpen the pain of your pregnancy, and in pain you will give birth. So before Eve sinned, I guess it was going to be a lot easier. 
Anyway, it says, and you will desire to control your husband. The old King James says your desire will be towards your husband. And this is really what the Hebrew is indicating. You'll desire to have control over him. So this is a natural weakness that women are going to have. That's what Paul's dealing with in the church. You will desire to control your husband, but he will rule over you. That's the problem that men have. They want to dominate and rule over the women. This is a result of sin in our hearts and our lives, and this is part of what Paul's warning us about all the way over in 1 Timothy. That's why he goes back and refers to these passages in Genesis. That this is it. This is the tendency that you're going to have that God says you need to give it to me and trust me. The equal value of the woman. They're both really equal. Look what he tells the Corinthians then. He says, nevertheless, after talking about the same thing, are you with me? He says, nevertheless, neither is man independent of woman. We're still talking male and female here, aren't we? Wow. Man's not independent of woman. He's talking about the women trying to usurp authority independently of man. But he reminds us that also men aren't independent of women, nor woman independent of man. In the Lord. If you're going to be in the Lord, you've got to get God's order. Or else it ain't going to work. For as a woman came from man, right? Eve created from Adam. Even so also, so man also comes through woman, but all things are from God. You see that? After that first one, then every man born came from woman. And then this last verse where he says, he says, nevertheless, she will be saved in childbearing. If they continue in faith, love, holiness with self-control. I mean, it seems like, wow, what is that all about? It's a little hard to interpret the meaning in the original. The natural understanding refers to their role in childbearing, that the man can't have the children, the woman does. The child is totally dependent on its mother. And the, God even gave the woman the milk, that's ner- the colostrum, the milk. I mean, yeah, in our day, yeah, you could use formula and things like that. But we've been in parts of the world, hadn't we? Uh, Galen, Scott, Dave, you guys, where we've seen that they don't have bottles. They don't have pacifiers. They don't have formula. They don't have hardly any cows or anything. And if it wasn't for the mother doing what she's designed to do, the baby wouldn't live. Totally, God created it more dependent on mom than on dad at that point. But that the dad takes care of the mom. That's the way God designed it. It works best that way. The mother's the one who, first of all, most powerfully shapes the early life and learning of the child. That's part of what he's referring to. Look, women, your, your, your role is higher than you realize. This means that every man and woman coming into the world are going to be shaped for, first and foremost by their mothers. Paul had been referring to what happened in the garden. And, and look, here's what I think. I, I think. I think this is part of what he's getting at here too about the role of women. You want to talk about the role of women? We have different functional roles in the church, but don't underestimate the value of the woman because it was through the woman that God said this. I will put enmity between you and the woman to... He's talking to Satan. And he said, between your seed and her seed, he shall bruise your head. He shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. Bruising your heel makes you limp a little bit. Bruising the head kills you. He's talking about the Messiah. This is the first prophecy of the coming of Jesus. And he said that the seed of the woman, well, you know enough birds and bees to know that the seed doesn't come from the woman, it comes from the man. But yet here he said the seed of the woman. And here's one thing, special role of women that God chose that it was going to be through female without the help of a male that the Messiah deliverer is going to come into the world that is going to save the world, that all of us are going to be saved because of that. So you talk about God elevating the role. Wow. And it was through a woman 
that Jesus came into this world. And so it's equal value, but we've got different roles and different responsibilities, and we need to be paying attention, men, to our natural tendencies of weakness. Women, we need to, be tens- we need to pay attention to the tendencies to manipulate and usurp authority. And I don't know why that went back to the beginning. I, I'm sorry. Let me just kill it. Let me kill it. That's all right. I have a couple more things I'm just going to mention in wrapping it up, okay? And that's this. It's this. The deliverer of the Messiah comes through the woman, man and woman. God made you who you are. Let's be who God made us to be. Men, here's here's the question. Are we going to be men of prayer? Are we going to be the kind of man he wants us to be in the church, in the family, in the nation? Are we going to rise up and be, uh, and that means to rise up to the Lord means to humble ourselves before God and our, our wives, our families. Women, are you going to be women of prayer? Are you going to be focusing on the things that's on the outward? Are you, going to be, are you going to be focused on things that are on the inward? Because when we start getting this together, things start to click. And the Messiah, the deliverer that God said, I'm going to send through the woman, is going to be known by all men and women, boys and girls. So let's bow our heads.